Hi everyone, welcome back to Gaming System. This is another bonus round. This time we are doing a top eight list of the most immersive video game worlds. Uh, so these are games that we think you just can disappear into and you forget about the real world and you're completely consumed by the world that you've uh, entered into. Uh, so things start off with Jen. What is your number one? Uh, my number one um, has um, boringly got to be World of Warcraft. Um, I uh, lost myself into in that world for about five years. <laughs> I literally was living and breathing it, um, and, uh, and and it was awesome. And I I have memories now that. I go back and I can remember conversations that I had with people which were text-based or maybe maybe voice um, conversations, but I physically, when I think of them, I'm physically in, in places in that world or doing things in that world. Um, so my memories have, have yeah, properly, properly absorbed all of the, the, the environment. And although you, you can't smell or feel things, um yes you sort of fill in those gaps so you know i can actually imagine what it was like to stand in the city the outside the main bank in iron forge deep under the ground as an elven place and um, dwarven place or i can re- i can imagine what it was like sloshing about looking for herbs in the swamps and um and sort of creeping about, avoiding the undead in Darkshire, and it, I just I have a feel that is very sensual in in a, a non erotic way <laughs> about the world. And so, yeah, for me, it was a, a, an, an entirely immersive experience. I think the fact that it was also social, and there were other people there, meant that that kind of helped to double down on that. So, you know, you can you were having conversations with other people in those environments and in, interacting with them. And, um, yeah, so for me, that that would be my number one immersive experience. You just made me think of um, all the games where you remember, you go about playing them later, you remember every nook and cranny of maps. You could walk around everywhere and you have really strong feelings about uh, each character. And um, I've been playing uh, Metal Gear Solid V again uh, the last few days, and I remember the setting of every single uh, encampment that you um, you go into. Um, I remember how I feel about each of the characters. There's a character that I absolutely hate. He's the biggest prick, irritating hate him so much no redeeming features um and it made me i just stepped back for a second and realized that's a sign of incredible character creation and writing because it makes you feel it doesn't matter what a character makes you feel as long as they make you feel something and yeah. so that's one part of metal gear solid five and another part is your uh, big boss solid snake the character you play he is meant to be the greatest soldier the world has ever known and you 100% feel like you are that soldier. You don't, it, you, it's not, it's no bullshit when you say, you said you're the best, so you're playing the best soldier that's ever existed. And then they actually make you feel like that and deliver that. That's what makes it so immersive, quite apart from the incredible um, uh, environments it's set in Afghanistan and um, Africa. And quite no one is the same people who made Death Stranding. No one quite makes the same sort of environments 
as Hideo Kojima. So that's uh, that's uh, number two for me. Um, Alex, what would be number three for you? Well, I've talked about it before on the pod, but it's probably going to be Assassin's Creed Origins um, because it's set in ancient Egypt, which is, of course, as you can tell, probably one of my favourite things. Um, and it's more to do with the particular atmosphere of where you find yourself in the map. You can tell a district apart from another based on how much Latin you hear, you know, oh, the Romans are camped out in this part, they're coming in through this part of the country. And then obviously in Alexandria you hear a lot of Greek voices as well. And then the further down south you go, it it gets more Egyptian. So it's just a good reflection of, of the particular moment in time. But I think particularly when I played on the Discovery Tour, you can, apart from doing the tours themselves, you can blend uh, like you would if you were an assassin in with the AI in the environment and you can sit and make a pot, do some mummification, um, just generally all sorts of things to sit and listen to people. Um, and it's just so cool just sitting there for like 10 minutes and watching how people behave and, and that sort of thing. It just brings it alive. I was such a, um, you could really tell that they were building it from the ground up and they were super really excited to be trying this new way of doing things. Um, every time I think about Egypt now, I just think what a devastating loss it is that the, the Library of Alexandria burned down. Just oh, ima- imagine what, and I saw recently that whenever uh, uh, new people arrived, they would uh, requisition all their books and scrolls mm-hmm. and they'd copy it and then give them back the copy and keep the original. That's just, oh, imagine. Um, okay, uh, Caroline, what's number four? Um, I'm going to go in a completely different tangent because uh, I like doing that. And uh, for me, one of the most immersive games over my whole gaming history has got to be uh, Football Manager uh, or erstwhile ch- Championship Manager when they split and Championship Manager went in a different way and then it's actually... Fit- None of you need to know the history, but trust me. So, like, I'm going to say Football Manager, but in the older ones, I'm obviously referring to Champ Manager. Champ Manager 98 being the greatest game ever. Um, and the I think I've probably played all of them as the years have gone by, but the immersive nature of it, where you, just through a text box, I mean, now there's a lot more fancy animations, but in the early ones, you were just literally reading text on a screen. And yet you felt like you were managing this football team, that you were taking them from the lowest divisions, from the start of the season. You start to know your players and all you're ever looking at is stats on a screen. But you start to really, really care about this person and that person. And, ah, but, you know, I haven't put them in the squad recently, but I reckon they've got potential. And, you know, feeling emotionally bound about selling them. And it's because the comprehensive way the game's been put together over the years. So, like, uh, for those of you who haven't played it, they there are scouts, actual football scouts, who go out for the developers and they look at millions, not millions, but thousands of footballers around the country. Like when you recruit a 14 year old straight out of the school, you know, sort of training schools and stuff like that, that is a real person. That is somebody that a scout has actually gone out and written stats about. And every little attention to detail in the game is the reason why it feels so brilliantly immersive and you can lose I've lost weeks of my life to playing football manager I have created spreadsheets by now you can actually extract the data which is brilliant but 
I'm not particularly into football. This is the thing about it. I'm not a big football fan. And, you know, I can usually hold my own in a football conversation, largely just because of the amount of football manager I've played. Um, (laughs) And it's so realistic that I normally manage to bullshit my way through. And I think that's just, I, I love that game that is essentially a glorified database can make you feel so much emotion. That's exactly what I was thinking, because that's what the best games do, because it's about um, hiding the limits, because every open world has a limit that you can go by, but if it can make you feel like the world is endless, that that game is just, it's just maths, it's numbers, and it can completely create this incredible experience for your life. Our math is so cool, (laughs) and algorithms and all that stuff, that is fucking incredible. Um, Okay, so we'll move on to number five. Uh, I'm going to gem what it would be on number five. Oh, do you know what? I've really struggled. I've got. I've actually kind of got two here, but I'm. Uh, I'm going to go with um, um, the sort of quirkier one just to to um, expand the things that we're 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 talking about. And um, I think that um, if we're talking about computer games, then um, I think it would be a mud that i played many many years ago which i played for a long time and then i helped to design it um called elephant mud um and um i I think it was just called elephant mud because the person who ran it just really liked elephants Um, (laughs) but um it was a dungeons and dragons style in world and um it was incredibly immersive even though it was a text based game so um, there were no graphics at all, apart from the occasional one made out of um, numbers and letters called ASCII graphics. <laughs> you may have heard of those. <laughs> um, and um, um, and you moved around by typing north, south, east, west, and you um, and you just moved into a room. And then as you walked into a room, a description would pop up. And if there was a, a monster or a character in the room, then you would see them and you can interact with them. Um, and um, and I played the game for a long time and then I got involved in designing the game. And so I created areas and um, so I saw it from the front and the back end. And, um, and what was really lovely is that seeing it from the back end didn't Im- impact on the miss immersiveness of the world um it was extremely interactive there was all sorts of things that you could do and we had a whole team of people contributing to it and we did the whole thing for free we never made any money out of it and everything was done um for love um and it was a extremely advanced game and when i later went on to play work games like world of warcraft i knew that this was this was what these games these text-based games were what the games that we're playing today that we're talking about today were based on and without these text-based games they wouldn't be there and um they did all the hard work they did the legwork and putting pretty graphics on the top and and that was always the thing if we'd been able to do that if we'd had the the funding to have done that with elephant mud to to have made it graphical it would have been today's world of warcraft i can i I say that without any doubt it was it was very well designed game Um, so yeah, so that would be that would probably be my second one. But if I if we weren't doing computer games, if we were doing sort of more things, then I would obviously say um, tabletop 
pen and paper role-playing games because, you know, as an immersive experience, it doesn't really get... Well, I think you could probably go for LARPing, but I've never done LARPing because I don't like the <laughs> idea of being chased, especially by someone carrying a mace. <laughs> so, so I haven't done that. But, yeah, I think the whole... The, the, the tabletop um, gaming is just a... So fun because you can take it wherever your group wants to take it you know my eyes just keep going up to my massive collection of uh, tabletop books (laughs) and rules (laughs) i am i am fascinated by uh, your history of uh, game development i'm desperate to talk to you at length about it because that sounds (laughs) so exciting um but uh, alas we uh, we have a topic to carry on with um caroline can you give us uh, number six please uh, number six is a game that I know Jem likes as well, um, and that this time last year, I think, was when we started playing it, which was Divinity Original Sin 2. Um, uh, yes. And the thing is, is that I love a good RPG. I really, really love a good RPG, and they don't come along that often. Mm. It's like there's a lot of mediocre RPGs out there, and when a good one comes out, like Skyrim or like these, you know, it's just so brilliant. And so, especially the fact that I think it was like last April, probably when the pandemic had hit and, you know, the realities of how much we were going to be locked in our house for an extremely long period of time was starting to go. Divinity Original Sin 2 was, for me and my partner, just this wonderful world we could escape to. And it was, as I say, a good RPG should always be immersive, should make you be thinking about your character all the time. Like, I loved the fact that I was, I had, I actually found the other day a piece of paper where I'd been scribbling down which um, talents and skills I wanted to unlock for my characters because I planned out a progression route for them um but also and I think you guys know this I'm not a huge plot game person that's like it's not the thing for me about games that's all the time and I loved the plot with I was this was one of the few games where I was not skipping cutscenes, and I was absolutely completely invested in what was happening in this world and everything about it um I haven't been able to play the new Baldur's Gate game by the same team yet because Frankly, I like to wait till games are cheaper. I'm not paying for I'm so excited about that game. <laughs> I'm so excited about it as well. And it has me really hard not to just drop the 50 quid mm. and pay it. <laughs> but I know that when I do, these people have put together such a good game. And also mm. the way that you can use the Divinity system to upload your own sort of RPG stories into it. And I've seen some amazing versions of that online. Like I almost, if I had infinite time, the idea of like putting your whole D and D campaign into what oh, is a fantastic game—it's just I can't get over it. The magic was done brilliantly. The combat was done brilliantly. What you were saying earlier, Matt, about like I can tell you the maps. I know how to get around <laughs> everywhere in there and stuff like that. And every little twist and turn of it was just a joy. And yeah, absolutely brilliant game. I love what you were saying about the. Um, it seems like a general theme. The, uh, precise uh, near perfection of uh, the the way the game has been developed um, and every single aspect of it has been um, uh, refined to a near perfection. That's exactly what I've felt um, with Middle Earth Shadow of War um, where you play the Grave Walker who's you've got this uh, a ring and you were uh, killed um, but you were tied up with the um, the soul of uh, Celebrimbor, the elf who made the um, the original rings, 
and you can't die, but you die, but then you come back. Um, and you, the, it's technical perfection in, of gameplay. And you feel like this superhuman wraith. The way that you watch Legolas deal with things, you have that, but in a very gritty and dark scenario. And you sprint through the cities. It feels so, it's so middler, everything about it that high fantasy and you feel like you're the the driving force driving through everything that you're not insignificant you are the most important thing and then you tie that up with the the nemesis system and how the running the jumping the fighting the um the sieges it just you just it's a joy to go in and just revel in what this game allows you to be um and that's oh, one masterpiece. Um, okay, uh, and I think this is number eight. Mm-hmm. Alex, take it yes. away. Okay, something entirely different now for my last twist, which is Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Blair Rabbit. <laughs> uh, oh! Yeah. And, that um, film was a bloody masterpiece. Well, again, though. Yes, but no, it's a very good game, and the reason I think it's immersive is because if you've watched the film, you'll see as films I want to do. It obviously cuts from location to location. Obviously, with the Were-Rabbit, they were able to film more of how Wallace and Gromit travelled from location to location. But when you're in the game world, you can physically go through and see, oh, there's Wallace's house, there's the town square, there's the church, and it's just down the road and to the left. And you actually feel like you're inhabiting the world a bit more and getting to know the villages and the people that live in it and all the characters outside of Wallace and Gromit um, and uh, it's just really really nice sort of Yorkshire village quintessentially English town um, and it's even got a little harbour as well which I quite enjoyed exploring with lots of seagull noises and all that sort of thing it's just nice to sort of poodle around in and mess about and have some fun this was going back probably about 10 maybe 15 years I don't know some PlayStation 2 anyway but uh, one of my favourites, definitely. And uh, yes, very, very immersive in that sense of being in the world of Wallace and Gromit. Oh, I, I, <laughs> now I need to dig out the Curse of the Wear Rabbit. Oh, <laughs> it's good fun. Um, okay, so that is our top eight most immersive, immersive games. That was, that was so much fun. It gives a real um, window into um, our uh, different gaming lives. And uh, how uh, important it is to um, to us in so many different ways. Okay, that is the end of our uh, top eight bonus round. Um, tune in to our uh, YouTube, Twitch, everything. 7 p.m. on uh, Thursday evenings. We'll always be coming out of something on a Thursday. Uh, please like, share, and subscribe. And uh, if you're listening to a podcast, particularly on Apple Podcast, if you can give us a five-star rating and a comment, that would be very much appreciated. Um, until next time, we are gaming the system, and uh, see ya. <laughs> nice. Hold on, Matt.
we hope you enjoyed that episode of Gaming the System. If you want to support us, you can donate to us through our PayPal by sending it to wearegamingthesystem at gmail.com if you want to send us a one-off donation. If you want to donate to us monthly, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash gamingthesystem. Until next time, bye-bye.